0: If you love what you do as a trainer or a coach or facilitator or a consultant, I think you're fortunate. Many people don't like what they do. And I've always thought of training as a privilege. Do you agree? Because, you know, we help people to be the best that they can be. We do this through our workshops, our programs, our live coaching, maybe through online programs that you've developed and created on a website for sale but you don't purely do this because you love it. You train and coach because it makes you money. Isn't that true? It's your business, right? And your business pays the bills and helps to create a lifestyle you aspire to. And We all have some kind of goals that we aspire to achieve, but will you do this forever? Will you train forever, coach forever, facilitate or consult forever? And if you think of it, you have to ask yourself questions like, when will you take a sabbatical? When will you exit? And I'm beginning to think more deeply about these things now because many of us as trainers might have come from corporate or teaching or some kind of background where we escape the world of of structure and schedules and we love the liberty of working for ourselves, the consequence is often that we're not thinking of what the horizon looks like, what is the end goal. Instead, we're knee-deep in day-to-day delivery and design and consulting. So let me ask you a hard question, and I've asked myself this quite a bit recently. Could your business survive without you for a day or a week or even optimistically, very optimistically, a year? Well, for many of us, for many trainers, facilitators, the honest answer is more than likely no. But if you're interested in learning how to build a business you can sell, you need to listen to today's guest, John Warlow. And in today's episode, we're going to cover some key things like why you need to start now thinking about your exit. What is the freedom point? For you. John describes that in detail. Why automatic subscription revenue is key, thinking of your programs online, what we call evergreen or MRR, monthly recurring revenue. What a buyer will look like when, or what they will look for, I should say, when looking at your training or facilitation business and buying it from you. What is the mindset you need to create a business that others want? You know, thinking of it dispassionately, not something that is you but something that's from you but apart from you and lastly some examples of training companies that have sold for millions this is a value-packed episode so please leave a rating share the episode and subscribe to the show this is episode 131 of the training business podcast Hey. And welcome to the TrainingBusiness.com
1: podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes.
0: Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business podcast. This is the weekly show for freelance trainers, for freelance facilitators for independent training business owners people who are consultants in the learning and development space all around the world people just like you and me and we have listeners from all around the world if this is your first time here welcome if it's not your first time here welcome back it's a pleasure to have you again and i appreciate the time that you spend each week listening to the show and of course providing me with tips and critique and suggestions for for guests to have on the show. And the goal of this show and every episode of the show is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable facilitation or training business or consultancy business in the learning and development space. Now, before the music, I mentioned that we have a guest on the show today. And this is a really important episode because it's really a hardcore business episode. We're focusing on what it means to not just train, but to have a training business what does that look like? Is that something that can be sold by you? Is that something that's separate from you? And to the point that could you ever step away from this? At what point can you and what does that process look like? John, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Mark. So the reason you're on the show is it's quite an interesting... Paradigm right now, people are knee deep as trainers, consultants, coaches in their business, but perhaps we're not thinking of what the horizon looks like. Um, many of us love what we do. Hopefully, that's true for people listening. Why else are we doing it? But sometimes we have to think of the exit point. And what struck me was listening to you on another podcast, which I listened to, James Shramko's podcast, and. I came across, in fact, I came across you, I didn't sell, say this to you last time when we first spoke before this call, but I used to work with a guy called Peter Carlin and he's actually been on your show. Uh, Peter Carlin, I think, was the co-founder of, of Logic Earth, ring a bell?
1: That does ring a bell, yeah. He was someone I interviewed for Built to Sell Radio, yeah.
0: That's right, and I was listening, I thought, hang on a sec, I know this name, I know this guy. I was a contractor and, and Peter was my boss on that particular contract. Uh, so I've kind of come across your work from several angles but what really struck me was this kind of elephant in the room what does the end goal look like we're running a business we often are knee-deep in the business we're working in the business if we're lucky on the business but we're not thinking of what the end goal looks like so what is your thinking behind what was your thinking behind writing that book first of all built to sell
1: well the, you know the book was really about a journey that I'd been on myself. I I used to own a, a consultancy. Uh, we did market research and I thought it was a very valuable company for I don't know probably 8 years I was building this thing and 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 we we on clients like Microsoft and American Express and all these big you know Fortune 500 brand name companies. And and so one day my wife and I decided that we wanted to change and I was going to sell the company and I I went to I uh, see a guy named Perry Miele, and he's a, an M&A uh, guy in Toronto. Uh, very dapper guy walked into his office. and I said, what do you think it's worth, Perry? And I, you know, we were 5 million in revenue, 30 employees, all these fancy clients. And in my mind, it was this really valuable company. And Perry said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. He said, like, so you're in the research business. And I'm like, yep and he's like okay well who does the research and i'm like well you know i'm i'm still involved like, these are big clients we work with that you know of course i need to be involved and he said okay great uh, well, who does the selling and i said well i mean you know i'm wor- i'm working with bank of america of course i'm involved in that you know negotiation it's a hundreds of thousands of dollars client whatever and he says okay let me let me get it straight you're in the market research business you're involved in the research you're involved in the selling and i said well yeah, I guess so. And and he looked over his like tortoiseshell glasses, peered over his nose, and said, "John, there's there's no way I can sell your business. It's worthless." And it was like being punched in the gut. Oh, it, you know, I can remember it to this day. I mean, this goes back 20 years, but it was just you know being told that, you know your baby is ugly, uh, and, and you know you know again i walked into his office thinking with clients like wells fargo and american express and bank of america that my company was worth a truckload and to be told it was worthless after 8 or 10 years of sacrifice it was just devastating and so you know that that inspired a whole journey for me personally where i tried to learn how to make my business less dependent on me personally, which ultimately culminated in 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 actually selling that company to a publicly traded business uh, in in the United States, and 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 ultimately writing the book Built to Sell, which was in 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 large measure, how does a sort of service company kind of kind of change things so it's less dependent on them personally?
0: And I and that resonates with me because a lot of people come out of the corporate life having been through a decade or so in, let's say, marketing or sales, and they think, hey, I know, I'm going to go out and become a consultant. I'm going to become a trainer. I'm going to work with my expertise and and develop a brand. I'm buying a lifestyle. But in some respects, we're buying a job. Because coming back to your point, you know, what is that worth if we put a price tag on this? If we remove ourselves from our business, can we actually do that? And I think a lot of people who are self-employed consultants, freelancers, trainers can't do that. Uh, and one of the reasons is we haven't thought of doing it because we think of, we're now we're now free. We've come out of a co- company that we were previously in where perhaps we feel uh, freed from that role, but in a way we're buying a new job. So how do we separate ourselves? And, and I know that many of the trainers I talk to aren't actually in that frame of mind yet. Um, We're we're just loving what we do and we're not thinking of what what retirement looks like or we've no plan to exit. But I think in some respects, COVID has changed people's minds. Are you finding that now that people are perhaps revisiting the concept of how do I get out of this at some point?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we've done some research. We looked at at people who completed the value builder questionnaire, which is the, the sort of intake questionnaire we use at value builder. And we looked at it and the, the result, we looked at data prior to the pandemic and, and during the pandemic. And the folks that completed the intake questionnaire during the chem- pandemic are 20%. Uh, bringing up their sell-by date by 20%. In other words, they're planning to sell 20% sooner. I think, look, the pandemic has been been psychologically grinding for all businesses, but service company owners, trainers who rely on the face-to-face, the, the workshop environment i mean it's been devastating absolutely devastating i've got a friend who uh is a trainer um and you know he was booked solid 300 days a year he was on planes and and you know the the highest level of of um of executive at some of the biggest companies in the world were seeking out his counsel and all of a sudden in march 2020 it stopped on a dime gone zero and and you know he's he's written a book over the you know the, the time that we've all had to to be uh, at home and he's now looking forward to hopefully the second half of 2021 with some optimism but it's been a crushing time and i think it's it's made us all reflect a little bit on what are we building are are we happy to continue and and look i think it's a fork in the road i think y- you can decide that i don't really have the aspiration to sell or to build a valuable asset I just love what I do. I want to be in front of clients. I want to be in front of people. And that's a totally legitimate way. And, and I think we've, we've all got examples of people that make a tremendous value, add a tremendous value and have, have, have tr- great fulfillment personally and professionally doing that. If that's your shtick, that's totally fine. None of our conversation today really matters to you. <laughs> you know, Hopefully you find it interesting, but it doesn't really matter. There is a second cohort, though, that say, no, I, I want to build something that could exist without me that I could one day sell. And, and for those folks, it's it's the, the prerequisite is finding something that I call meets your TVR. TVR stands for teachable, valuable, repeatable. And what that means is finding something in your training practice and your facilitation practice that you can teach other trainers to deliver, that is valuable to customers, and is repeatable, meaning your clients need it on a recurring cadence of some sort, and and that's really difficult for a lot of trainers because what is most teachable is often least valuable, right? Okay, and, interesting. And yeah, because because look, if if anybody could do what you do, anybody would be doing it. But you, as a facilitator trainer, you probably have a very unique expertise, and therefore. It's one thing to say sure I could hire people to do it but nobody does it as well as I can is the common refrain. And so what I would what I would recommend to people who who feel that tension between what is teachable and what is valuable is is to really niche down. In other words, try to 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 segment your customers and identify a a segment of your customer base that does have a, a, a need for a teachable, valuable, repeatable service from you. Um, because oftentimes, when we are thinking about all of our clients, it's very hard to identify TVR, and valuable often competes with, uh, with teachable. But I think if you niche down, you might find that uh, there's a
0: subset of your customers whom you could create a TBR offering for. That's excellent. I love that. And, and you mentioned the value builder. What is the value builder for people who have not yet heard that term? It's obviously your IP, your intellectual property. Yeah, we help entrepreneurs lead, uh, build the value of their
1: company, leading to an exit. So we worked with fifty thousand businesses over the years, leading up to an exit, and we license that uh, that software to professional advisors, mostly coaching, you know, coaching companies, uh, consulting, some M and A firms who use it with their clients as a way to uh, uh, to add a, a value building
0: kind of service offering to their firm. Now, when I first heard this concept and I read the the Built to Sell and I listened to the interview with you and James, again, as I said to you in the the call before this, my head was spinning because I thought, goodness gracious me, how many people out there have actually got their head in that place? What does exit look like? So can we list together perhaps some of the reasons that someone, let's say, I don't know, 45, 35, 50 um, should start thinking? It's never too late to... to to sell their business at some point. What what are the reasons that 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 should be on their mind?
1: Yeah, look, I think most people grossly underestimate how long it takes to sell a company. And what I mean by that is the actual transaction itself, like once you put your shingle on the market and say, okay, I'm for sale, the average length of time that takes is somewhere between six and 12 months. But most facilitators most trainers most professional services companies will sell on an earnout and an earnout means that you agree to get some of your money up front but most of it in the future as a division of your acquiring company and that's at risk and 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 that can last I mean in professional services I've heard as long as 7 years the average is 3 years and so, again, if, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, I, you know, I want to be on the beach or on the golf course or at the farm by the time I'm 60, you know, you, you really need to pull that back uh, at least five years uh, when, you, when you really need to be proactively, you know, marketing your business. Because for most professional services firms, um, there will be some form of earn out. And again, it's, it's at risk. I, I remember I did an interview on uh, Built Cell with a guy named Rod Drury and Rob built a company called AfterMail. He was They were in the business of archiving software. It doesn't matter what industry he's in, really. But the, the point was that he agreed to an earn out. It was, a, it was a massive sale. It was reported in his hometown of Wellington, New Zealand, as a $35 million acquisition. So it was a huge, huge deal. Yet when you unpack the numbers, it was $15 million up front, with the potential for another 20 in an earnout. And I asked Rod, like, man, you, you're a relatively young guy when you sold, he was probably in his 30s. And I said, I mean, what did you do? Like, you got this massive $15 million check. Um, that must have been life-changing for you. And he said, sure, it was totally life-changing. And, and it made me go off the rails a bit. And I enjoyed myself. And, and then I kind of pulled up months later and said, okay, now I'm going to try to figure out how to, you know, hit this earnout for this extra $20 million. And, and of course, by that time it was too late because earnouts, they work on this gating system where uh, like a downhill ski racer. Like if you miss a gate, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna be very hard to recover. Similarly, when you miss a number early in your earnout, you're oftentimes not given the budget to hit the next gate. And so you miss one or two early gates, it's it's kind of game over. And so
0: Rod, you got to be on good behavior then, almost. You
1: got to be well. You got to hit your numbers effectively. And uh, and so Rod, after you know nine months. Uh, uh, you know, in in his earnout, he left and and walked away from all of it. There was nothing paid to him after the the initial downstroke of the fifteen million. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. He he walked with a ton of, of money, and he went on yeah. to do some great th- stuff. But the earnout is always uh, at risk, and uh, I'm always reminded of the Roger store for that reason.
0: Yeah, and it it sounds more like a waiting room than an exit. So no one's going to rock up and say, "Hey, you've just uh, sold your business, and and here are the keys to a." A Porsche, or whatever it is, and, and Sayonara. Uh, the earnout obviously keeps you uh, anchored or, or tied to that business for a while. So the reasons that people should start thinking of this is if nothing else to have a vision of what five years looks like, 10 years looks like, because there's so many trainers for the reasons I've mentioned who are maybe at 55, 65. Um, I can think of at least two people over 60 who are still training They've no idea how to get out, when to get out, and, and maybe they're not clear on the reasons to get out. So if we kind of wind back in the time machine here, John, what what are the steps to build a business to sell? Keeping the exit in mind, the, having the end goal in mind, what, what would you say? Yeah. So look, I mean, the, the overriding theme and the
1: decision-making lens that you need is will this business make it less or more dependent on me will this business decision i'm about to make make my company more or less dependent on me and i think that is an overriding lens and I, I mean i i i go back to having being a parent because many of us listening to this will be parents right and we've all had that experience where we think like what would we like our our kids to do and and some of us have very asked, you know high aspirations lofty goals for our kids I, speaking firsthand, I would be more than happy if my kids became you know function, functioning adults, able to live happily in the world, whatever they do. And I think that's a great analogy for building to sell. Instead of thinking of your business as a way to demonstrate your expertise or to fill your bank account, whatever, think of it as a child that you are trying to raise into an independent adult. And that lens, I think, changes everything about running a facilitating or training business. I mean, you're you're now thinking about taking on contracts and even though it may be a lucrative contract, if it's dependent on you to deliver the work, that may be less attractive. If your marketing has your face on the cover of your website and the company name has your surname, That may not be the right decision if the goal is to build this child into a fully functioning adult, if this business is the goal. So look, I think it all starts with that lens. I think your next step is in order to really get your product or service offering to align with that vision is identifying your TVR, teachable, valuable, repeatable. And then the third step, I think, and and this is one where i think you really start to accelerate the value of your company is to create some form of recurring revenue to transform the one off you know facilitation project into some form of 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 of, of tail
0: of consistent recurring uh, so a nice mrr monthly recurring revenue if we can so yeah, subscription yeah Yeah, and I think that a lot of trainers have begun to realize this: is that um, you know I'm online, I I have a webpage, I've got a LinkedIn profile. Why do I not have people coming to me on a weekly basis, monthly basis? And I'm doing that myself a lot more. It's the idea of an evergreen stream of revenue, not just these one-offs, which are really painful because as trainers we're often kind of living from month to month. If we can build something which is productized, and as you said creates uh, a revenue, it could be through subscription, and that's the subject of the of the of the second book you wrote, which is the automatic customer. So what were the some some of the main ideas from that one?
1: Really, it's about creating recurring revenue in just about any industry. And again, interestingly enough, one of the first tricks is to niche down. And I'm reminded of, of one of the, the stories in the book comes from a company called H. Bloom. And they're not in a training or facilitation business, but I think the point will be clear when I describe the story. They were in the business of selling flowers. And if you think about the business of selling flowers, it, it is a tough business, right? You've got, um, you know, the, the farmer cuts the flower f- from the stem and it starts to die. 60, 75 days later, it's dead in your fridge in some high street retail shop and you have to throw it out. <laughs> typical. I don't know what it's like in the UK. I'm sure it's very similar or in Ireland, I should say. in In the United States, the typical spoilage rate of flowers is Fifty percent. So, in other words, a typical flower store throws out most of its, if it, at least half of its inventory, and then of course, you know, it's Mother's Day and Valentine's Day are the two big days a year. That's when all of your revenue gets done, and so it's very lumpy and it's very seasonal and very unpredictable. And so you lose a lot of flowers. And so two guys came along and said, "Okay, we're going to create a flower company on subscription." So they're going to start to institutionalize with this recurring revenue. But they took this step that I'm referring to, which was to niche down and look at all the different buying groups that buy flowers. So you know, weddings, funerals, you know, et cetera. And they identified this very small segment that has a need for flowers on a recurring basis. And that was hotels, four and five star hotels like to project that sort of very boutique, exclusive image yeah, true. by putting a fresh bouquet of flowers on their reception table. Well, they created a recurring or subscription for flowers. And they said to the hotelier, "Look, you don't have time to walk down to the high street to get your flower. we'll We'll replace them. Every two weeks, we'll send you a business grade invoice. Well, long story short, H Bloom become came a wild success. Last time I talked to the founders, their average lifetime value of a customer was more than forty five hundred dollars. So they get one customer, one hotel, and they capture forty five hundred dollars with the revenue. You compare that to the average flower store transaction, one off, it's like 50, 60 bucks. So it's a game changer for that business. And I think the application for trainers is, again, to think about not all of your customers and trying to boil the ocean and figure out what you you could possibly sell on subscription to everybody. It's to really think about, of all the people that you work with today... Who has a recurring need? I mean, I work with one uh, one guy, a, a good friend of mine. I, I won't share his name because I, I don't think he'd want me to, but he does a lot of work training lawyers on how to be a facilitator and to be a great speaker. Well, you can imagine being a very very highly trained facilitator he gets a tremendous amount of per- personal fulfillment from working with the partners of those law firms right it's a it's a meeting of intellectual masters it's it's you know he he, he gets his wheels turning based on when he gets a chance to facilitate to one of those partners right yet that's a one off job and very hard to scale what's scalable is training every new associate class that comes in at a first year university. And so building a program for first year university grad law, you know, law clerks, every law firm has a dozen new clerks come in every single year and having a program that he can either use an online training mechanism video and you know online tools or hire someone to deliver the, to the 23 year old law clerk boom he's got a scalable practice and then he can treat the work he does with partners of law firms as a little bit like candy it, it, you know like when you think about food candy makes you feel good it scratches the itch it makes you fulfilled as a professional it's not building the value of your business And if we're all candy all day, ultimately, it will undermine our health. There's nothing wrong with eating a piece of candy once in a while, working with an individual client. But what you really want to do is make sure you're eating the protein, meaning you're building something that can exist without
0: you personally delivering the work. That's deep food for thought. And I think that a lot of people, if they're listening to this, if they're honest with themselves, they're slightly uncomfortable because they're perhaps thinking <laughs> well, that's now- That's not my intent. <laughs> no, no, but it's 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 good. It's 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 uncomfortable in a necessary way because we're thinking it's so easy to just fall in love with what you do, particularly if you've left, let's say the corporate world or teaching, which often is the case to become a trainer or a facilitator. And you love what you do so much. So you overlook the fact that at some point life will change and, and you maybe the world changes. Uh, you've got competition. You decide to do something else. And all of a sudden, all, that ye- all the years you've put into building that business doesn't amount to very much because no one actually wants it. So the recurring revenue is a, is a big thing. Is there a way to actually create a stream of passive income, almost passive income? You've done this, of course, with your courses. I mean, you're a, the embodiment of, of success in that direction. What about when it comes to actually selling the business? So let's just say someone, and not everyone will ever be in a position to do this, but let's just say someone has what well, they feel um, is a solid client base, Um, some good names, and they want to put this uh, or get this to a place where they can sell it um, and, you know, go through the process of extracting themselves from the business. What does that look like, preparing the business for sale? Now, presuming everyone's done everything right, which may not be the point. You talk about the freedom point. What exactly is the freedom point?
1: Yeah, the freedom point is the point at which the sale of your business will garner enough money to fund the lifestyle your your lifestyle for the rest of your life effectively and most people in in business will will oftentimes blow right past that and when we think about like why did we leave the corporate world to become a trainer a facilitator in many cases it's the desire for freedom right it's the desire to call your own shots pick your own clients do your own work and and not be beholden to some you know manager who doesn't know much about what you do and so the the funny and ironic thing is that oftentimes owners will crest the freedom point yet continue to go right beyond it. And so again, the freedom point is when the sale of your company would garner enough wealth effectively to fund your lifestyle. And when you... Go past the freedom point and choose not to sell your business. Effectively, what you're doing is you're like the, the blackjack player, you know, at Vegas. He's just won five consecutive hands, and the dealer looks at him and says, Okay, go all in. And, and effectively, that's what you're doing. When when your facilitation practice, your training practice makes up the majority of your wealth and you continue to own it. Um, every day you're past the freedom point, you're effectively risking financial freedom, what you aspire for, in return for something you may not want. Uh, most of us, I think, reach the point where uh, you know, we realize that freedom is really the ultimate driving force in almost everything that we do in business. And so it's just worth pulling up and saying, is it? You know, if, if I'm at the freedom point,
0: is it a point where I might want to sell? Okay, so if, if someone is just thinking of of hard questions to ask themselves right now, if you're the little angel or the Jiminy Cricket on their shoulder, what would you whisper in their ear right now just to kind of put a little stone in the shoe so we're changing people's assumptions and maybe just making them think differently about where they want to be and how they're going to get there? What would you say? Yeah, effectively, if, if, if you
1: were laid up for three months, uh, how would your business perform? How would your... Training facilitation company perform over that time? If it would perform equally well with or without you, you have a sellable asset. You have a very valuable company that will be attractive. I mean, let me give you, I'll give you an example. Um, I think it comes from the training world. Greg Alexander built a wonderful business called Sales Benchmark Index. They're a training company, they train large enterprise sales forces. And he built this business up and he knew from the get-go that he wanted it to work without him personally. So he took that lens that he was building a company, not a job. So all the people that he hired, he 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 taught them to deliver the work. He built benchmarking tools that worked with or without him, like using them and and and, and working them. He built it up to $30 million of annual revenue. So a good-sized training business when he decided to sell. Well, when he went through the process of selling, he was so obsessed with this idea of his business thriving without him that he never participated in the negotiations to sell his company. He sent his management team. He personally, as the owner of SBI, never actually met any of the potential buyers for his company. He sold SBI recently for 100 and sixty two million dollars never having met get this never having met the ultimate buyer that is to, i've done 300 episodes of built to sell radio and i've never heard of someone not meeting the buyer especially someone who's going to write you a check of that i mean it's it's stunning to even consider that but that was the degree to which he had taken this notion of building a business that can thrive without me, almost to a a laughable extent. But look, it, it the proof's in the
0: pudding. It, it you know it worked for him. That's staggering. Um, yeah, that that's that's almost like James Bond. Cool, isn't it? Just just yeah, ha- sending someone staggering. in on, to do a secret mission on your behalf.
1: <laughs> look, I don't I don't want to give false reality. Like, I don't want to fill people's heads with the idea that you're going to sell your company for six times revenue or whatever that equates to. I mean, that's a That is a a real, I mean, as Michael, uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell says, an outlier. It's It's crazy. Yeah. But look, I think if, if the main point holds, if you can... Somehow structure your facilitation practice, your training business, so that it doesn't depend on you. That you could actually take a three month sabbatical without really losing much ground. I think you've got a great business and a and a very sellable. Business.
0: Yes, that is the goal for sure, um, and it's worth thinking about. So I think today, John, you've you've as I mentioned, put put a stone gently in the shoe of people listening. Uh, it's slightly uncomfortable, but in a good way because at some point there will come a time when maybe the bones creak or or the hairline recedes or just you just get this itch to do something differently. And it's a bit late then to be thinking about um, selling. It's almost like a, the concept of building to sell is is having the end goal in mind and, and having a business that can, as you've said, thri- thrive without you, survive without you. Um, so if nothing else today, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, am I in that position that I can hang up my boots? What does that look like? When is that time? Um a mind control, then I think, uh, it's been well worth listening to. Um, so I, I think that's, that's the goal today is just to put a little bit of doubt in people's minds in a, in a nice way to think, what is the value of your company, uh, with you or without you? And, and if you were to sell it, how would you do this? So you've got three books, uh, where can people find out more about you apart from built to com? Obviously that's the, the obvious URL. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would start there. If you go to
1: in the top right hand corner, you'll see a little button that says free gifts. And if you click on that, you will you'll get the start, you know, you'll get like a starter kit. And wherever you are in this journey, there's a bunch of videos you'll get, some worksheets, templates, white papers, all on sort of how do you apply this concept of building
0: to sell. So that's the place to go. Just built2sell.com. And of course you've had then a nice tab on the Right to the right inside of that, which is the valuebuilder.com, which we can plug as well. Okay, um, and I look forward to to reading your most recent book, which of course is the art of selling your business. Can people buy that directly from you? Uh, no, that's I mean wherever you buy books, so Amazon okay, or fantastic. whatever high street retailer you uh, you prefer. John, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks, Mark. My sincere thanks to John Warlow for being my guest today. And I thank John after I pressed stop on the recording button for putting so much work in and and thinking really about key examples which he could use to relate back to the content. And sometimes I've I interview people, and it's, it's quite generic, but my thanks to John for really thinking about what could be of value to you out there as trainers, as facilitators, people like me. And I think John did a great job of doing that. You can find John's books, of course, on Amazon. He's got three fantastic books, uh, Built to Sell, uh, which is all about literally building a company to sell with the outcome of, of selling it. Um, Automatic Customer, which is all about generating the importance of generating revenue. And of course then, The Art of Selling Your Business. Uh, So one more time, Built to Sell, The Automatic Customer and The Art of Selling Your Business. And that book is out right now, the last one I've mentioned. And of course you can find John's website at builttosell.com, B-U-I-L-T, builttosell, S-E-L-L, dot com. And on that website, there's a link to the Value Builder System, which is a tool which can help you to literally do that, to think of you know, the steps to building a company which you can sell because quite a few people need help. And I'm one of those people in terms of building something that is going to be something I can step away from profitably when the time's right. We're not going to do what we do forever. So with that note in mind, thanks to you for your time today. Thank you for listening to the show and thank you for subscribing to the show. Can I ask you please to click, please, please, please click on the subscribe button right now because it helps to Bring the show to the attention of other people who will find value—people just like you and me, trainers, coaches, facilitators—and of course, it's kind of my reward for putting the time and effort in every week. It is a—it's a thing I love to do, and I'm delighted that I get to do it. And I'm delighted to get feedback from you about the kinds of content, guests, and topics to have on the show. If you've got particular ideas, please reach out to me, Mark at TrainingBusiness.com. I'm delighted to get personal correspondence and i read them individually and reply personally to everything i get Um, if you have any suggestions anything at all or critique i welcome both and i will cycle that back into making sure that the show is better now speaking of better there's a fresh episode of the show next week as there is every single thursday so please tune in then i look forward to your company until then as always look after yourself and your loved ones keep safe keep on selling and keep on training bye for now